0: Um, Today, uh, I'm not speaking. Today, we have a guest speaker, and um, I'm going to introduce them. It is uh, someone that we knew from back in Washington uh, State and when we were back in church there uh, for many years, and uh, was previously was in uh, the mortgage business, the real estate business, all these things, and yet serving and traveling and speaking and ministering to people. And the reason that we've invited uh, him is because... We talk about, uh, this month we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And we only let people speak if they can live it, not just talk about it. If they can live it and they represent it. And I have had the privilege of seeing this person both as a mortgage broker, as a realtor, now as a church planter and a pastor, live the same thing no matter where they were. When they were in the mortgage industry, it was character, integrity, and sharing Jesus with people the same person, still a minister, still a child of God, still loving people, still helping people. In real estate, the same thing. Now as a pastor, the same thing. So they are able to talk about and walk through the experience of what does it take to be someone that lives out what we talk about no matter what circumstance we're in or what season of life that we're in. So uh, can you help me give a hand to Reno Warren, uh, coming up to share, and uh, be ready. And it's his wife, Gabby. He's going to direct. She's like, where are you taking me right now? Yeah. He's going to bring her up. Gabby spoke Friday night, so you guys saw her. Um, is your, are you on? Make sure you're on. Yeah, it's on. All right, turn it over. There you go, Thank guys. Thank
1: you, Andy. We appreciate it. Oh, it's good to be here. This is my, my love of my life, Gabby. Huh? 27 years now. 27 years. And uh, we're very much a team. And so I just wanted to bring her up and honor her because I know that only the women met her on Friday, but this is my other half. And uh, we love one another and we also minister together. And uh, you know, after 27 years, your heart kind of meshes together and you become the same in so many areas. So I just wanted to honor you, my love. Oh, yeah, it's very romantic still. After 27 years, we still got it going, don't we, babe? Yes, we do. We do. All right. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Andy and Carrie, for having me. It's so wonderful to see so many faces from Vancouver, people that I used to know, and, and just, you know, we're all getting older, right? My, my beard is white now, you know, and like, what is going on here? But I'm only 39, so I feel great about that, and that's the good news, And uh, today, I just, you know, I want to stir us up toward God. I want to stir us up toward a certain person in the Bible we're going to look at. You know, when we study different personalities in the Bible, say Jesus, the more you study about Jesus, the more you become like him. Did you know that? Whoever you put yourself in front of, you become like. And conversely, if you're putting yourself in front of wrong things, you can kind of become like that too. And so it's really important that we read our Bible, that we get mentored by the Bible. I call the, the heroes of the faith my divine mentors. They're my mentors. And if you study them long enough, your character gets shaped. You're, you, you're, you, know, you can deal with your sins better. You can walk in a godly way better. The more you give yourself to Scripture, the better off you're going to be. Can I hear an Amen. It's just so true, and so when we get born again, it's important that we apply ourselves to scripture, because scripture shapes us, it transforms us, and it's awesome to, to study it and to be in it, and now today, I want to talk about a certain man. It's the only man in the Bible that is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Anybody know who that is? Excuse me? David, that's right, man after God's own heart. If you have your Bible, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel 11. I'm going to read five verses. It's a long story, but I'm going to read the first five, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest for time's sake so we can just clip through it. And uh, when you think of David, what do you think of? What? Goliath. Goliath. What else do you think of? Huh? Worshipper. Worshipper. Wasn't he a, a harpist? And didn't he play um, before King Saul the harp to soothe his demonic issues? Let's put it that way. Uh, Anything else with David? What's that? Bathsheba, Bathsheba, of course. And here we are at at 2 Samuel 11, and we're going to read the story about David and Bathsheba today. Now, I want you to bear in mind, David's one of my heroes, and he is just an amazing man. He's the man after God's own heart. Just like other men in scripture are my heroes, and and women are my heroes, some of the great stories. And yet, so the Bible is so real and so authentic that it also gives us slices, little pieces of the human side, or the carnal side, if you will, or the mistakes, or what I would call the dirty laundry. And you know what? I love the Bible because it doesn't sugarcoat. It tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? I mean, you think of Moses, you know, and he's the most meekest man on the whole earth. But if you really study that out, there's a big tug of war with Moses and the Lord about even convincing him to obey God, to go do the work and become the deliverer of Israel. And I love those stories because that's where you find out where where these things shift and where they change. And you see how relentless God is to work with somebody and to pull on somebody, and to get you and I into the game, amen, into his plan and his program is the only program that you want to be involved in, amen, and I love also that when we slip and fall and fail, God does not depart from us, amen, that we can have horrible episodes in our life, and thank God he's still with us, amen, And when we lose our grip on him, his grip on us is still there. My grip on him is nothing that when you and I fail or when we we get in our flesh and we do stupid stuff that we're ashamed of, that he is still with us. And all we have to do is cry out. All we have to do is, is confess. All we have to do is invite him back and he will forgive us and he will cleanse us. Amen. He's faithful to us. And when we look at 2nd Samuel 11 in verse 1 it says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and the servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would be really strong and, and just would permeate to the depth of all of our hearts here today. Lord, accomplish what you sent it to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. And, you know, David, you know, the shepherd boy, remember he killed the lion and the bear. He went on to kill Goliath. He went on to serve in Saul's court. And, um, and after he killed Goliath, Saul got really mad because the ladies When he came back, we're singing the higher praises of David than Saul. Do you remember that? And then Saul got what? He got really jealous. And he persecuted David. And I figure in my study, David was a teenager. And let's just say 15, 16 years old. And Saul persecuted him for so long. The Bible tells us that David lived to be 70 years old. That at 30, he began to reign And this is right after the death of Saul. And he reigned seven years and six months in Hebron. So at 37 and a half, then he went into Jerusalem and began to reign at about 30, a little over 37 years old. And he reigned till he was 70 years old. And so, but we know that in those days where Saul was persecuting him, it must have been about 15 years. Running, living in caves, living out who knows where, out in the woods, and he went from place to place just to survive. And so we see, it's just so amazing, the hand of God, that he chooses the next king of Israel to be like a street person. Like somebody that's just meandering and somebody that's just looking for their next meal. And yet in the gifting of David, many were gathered to him, even out on the street. He gathered, You know that the Bible says that a man's gifting and calling are irrevocable. When God gifts you, you're going to be gifted on the street. Your influence will be with you no matter where you go. David gathered his his troops. He was in caves, and he went through the woods, and he escaped Saul several times. He was trying to kill him, but his influence grew, and he had an army of 400 at one point and another army of 600, and it says day by day, the, the army of Saul was defecting and going over to David but he would not take out the Lord's anointed. So he he was under a test. He was under a character test for like 15 years. And then he comes and he takes Hebron. And then he comes and he takes Jerusalem at 37. And the first thing he does is he establishes the Ark of the Covenant in, in Jerusalem. And he brings in this greater level of worship into Jerusalem. And he continues to get victories over the enemies of God. So he's probably around 40 years old early 40s and then and then and then this episode appears in 2 Samuel 7 and it says when at the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David remained in Jerusalem and boy that's the beginning of the problem because you know you got to be careful that when we're when we should be at work you got to be careful for voluntary unemployment you got to be careful from rewarding yourself. Who knows what was in David's mind? Maybe he thought, man, I've got a long journey. I've done a lot of things. I've survived. I'm the king. I'm at the top now. I'm going to pull back. But when he pulls back, because he should have been out in battle. He should have been where kings go. He should have been with Joab and all the group. But when when we pull back, and a lot of the book of James talks about that lust, when it's conceived, gives you know, full birth to sin and that you and I end up acting out on what's inside of our heart, that God doesn't tempt anybody, but what's inside of our heart is, is coming forward. And so I think what, what we're seeing here is David has had some things inside of his heart. And it's amazing because he was the king. He had it all. He had it all. And when you study it out, uh, back in those days, you can have multiple wives. David had seven wives up to that point. And he had 19 children, 19 boys, maybe 20. There's maybe um, a child that died that was unnamed. It could have been 20. He had Tamar, his daughter, um, that is one girl that's named. So he had a family. He had riches. He had silver. He had gold. He had wives. He was finally the king of the kingdom. And yet he was lusting for something that God didn't want him to have. Isn't that amazing? that you and I can be just like David, we can lose the contentment for all that God's given us and we can look beyond the fence. And when he looked at Bathsheba and he saw her, because he got up in the middle of the night and he saw a woman bathing and she was very beautiful, Uh, you know, it strikes me, and we're talking 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, you know, there was no... There was no porn in the day, but I think this was David's porn. And David looked, and he saw something, and he checked it out. And he could have opted out of that moment by saying, whoop, shouldn't have saw that, and then kind of went and said, Lord, forgive me. I want to keep my heart in place. But not only did he see it, he sort of started to double down on that. And it says, so David sent and inquired about the woman. And I want to draw some real parallels because, you know, in my pocket here, I have this wonderful machine, this iPhone. And uh, this is the most accomplished piece of technology in the world. You know, on the one hand, I can find out what's happening in the Israel Hamas war moment by moment. I can research my most favorite worship music and just get right into that. And in another moment, with one or two clicks, I can descend into the depths of hell with pornography. And it strikes me because at my age, um, you know, this wasn't around when I was a teenager. And if you wanted to see porn, you know, you'd have to go get a magazine or something or find somebody that was 21 or over to help you find that to young children, to you know, um, adolescents, to teenagers, to moms, to dads. The Barna group, Christian group, does a lot of informational pollings. And they're saying that porn now is no longer a male thing. It's a male and a female thing. And 30% of all young adults. And, uh, and it's amazing because we, we can really get ourselves caught up with this thing. And when David sent and inquired about her, wouldn't that be like you and I clicking on the link? Wouldn't that be you and I getting solicited by some commercial, whoa, who's that woman? Then it says, click here and, you'll, and I'll show you of our entire character. Because what happened to David was this de-escalation of his character. He began to fall and slip and become like somebody that you just say, gosh, that's not David. That's not David that I read in Scripture. David became somebody in about a one-year period, changed. And I want to talk today to men and women that love God, that are into God, that are that with all their heart they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you're struggling in the area of porn. You're struggling in the area so much that if you really are honest, you can say, you know what my whole personality is starting to change because of something that maybe you're, you're holding on to. And today, I believe God wants to release you from that because um, my wife and I, we pastor a church and we do a lot of counseling and a lot of deliverance. And a lot of, the, a lot of the situations that we run into are people that have been in porn for a long time. And I'm not going to get graphic because I know there's kids here today, but there's a lot of married couples, newlyweds that are coming to us with tremendous sexual dysfunction. And when we dig into it, um, usually the man uh, had been porn since they were seven or eight or nine years old. And that's incredibly corruptive to the upbringing of a young man's sexuality. And so things play out, and all of a sudden, it's a bad marriage. The number one complaint that we get about, about newlyweds and, and marriage counseling is, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was that deep into porn. That's what the woman is saying. And I just want to call out today the destructive nature of what you and I can look at and how it can take us down and into really dark places. Amen? So if you're with me, David sent, he inquired about her. And they said, this is Bathsheba, and he sent, and he took her. And she came to him, and he laid with her. And so that's the next level, is David went all the way, and he had sex outside of marriage. And he, cre- and he had committed adultery, and uh, which was, he knew it was unlawful. And yet in his position of power, he got exactly what he wanted. And I just want to draw the parallel. This is a position of power for you and I. Many people can get pretty much exactly what they want, albeit virtual. But you can get exactly what you want to satisfy your lust from this position of power. But I'm going to show you that just like David was affected, you and I also can be affected. And worst thing of all, it's not so much that you're you're sinning, it's that it's taking you away from God. It's really hard to be in sin and to be passionate for God at the same time. And we're seeing in a one-year period where there wouldn't be one prayer that we can document. There wasn't any exchange between God and David during this one year. He went dark on God. And he played it out as though maybe God doesn't even see what I'm doing. He got deceived. And he walked, it, he walked down this horrible path. And it says he took her, he laid with her, he committed adultery. And then here comes the problem is she got pregnant. Then he got really nervous because it says, then David sent to Joab out in the battle, bring me Uriah the Hittite. So I'll just paraphrase. But he calls for the woman's husband. You guys remember the story? He calls for for him and he comes into David's court and, and he says, hey, how's the battle going? How's Joab doing? How are the people? How's everything? Oh, yeah, it's going good, going good. Hey, why don't you go down to your house tonight? Because his goal was that he would go sleep with his wife so that he can blame the pregnancy on her and the man in his integrity refused to do that so after david spoke with him he went out to the gate of the king and he ended up spending the night with his other servants at the gate of the king and the man basically said far be it from me to go lay with my wife while the king while the armies of the lord are in battle right now so he held his integrity well david got you know kind of you know kind of uh, mad about that and he doubled down on it and he said come here Uriah so he brought him in the second night and the third night and he got him drunk so David got him drunk and he says go lay with your wife and then basically the guy in his drunkenness held his integrity and at the gate he went to the gate again and he laid with the servants of the Lord and he did not go to his wife then David got really mad and the Bible says that um In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And that letter was the death sentence on Uriah. And in his own hand, he carries this letter to Joab that says, um, put Uriah at the front of the battle. And when it gets really hot, have the men retreat. And so that's what happened. And Uriah died at the front of the battle. And then the messenger comes back to tell tell, uh, David, because Joab knew. David said, I want you to uh, kill Uriah. Joab knew it. He was in on it with David. So here comes the messenger back, and and David said, how did it go? And he said, well, you know, this and that. We lost a few men, and Uriah, the Hittite, is dead. And I want you to see how cold David was in that moment. He goes, well... Yeah, it's too bad, you know. The, the sword devours one as well as the other. That was his response. The callousness, the coldness, the absolute wickedness of conspiring, politically conspiring to take someone down. This is, this is our man, David. This is where he's at in his walk with God. So he, he's lusting, He's committing adultery. He's getting a girl pregnant. He's trying to cover it. And then when he can't cover it with her husband, he orders her death, his death. And then he dies. And then he says, well, the sword devours one as well as the other. And he said, tell Joab not to worry, continue to fight and go take the city. So business as usual. Do you see how the How lust and sin can take you and I down into a spiral. And sometimes when the Lord doesn't get involved immediately, we think we're getting away with it. We think that it's just happening. We think that, well, okay, I found a solution. And I didn't even have to confess. I didn't even have to repent. I didn't even have to, you know, bring this to the surface. Nobody knows. But we know that God always knows. Amen? God always knows because... It says, when the, when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she mourned, and then David took her as his wife. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. That's where the footnote comes in. The Lord saw it, and the Lord saw the displeasure. And so the Lord sends in his mercy a prophet. Amen. How many are thankful for the prophets of God? Amen. Because sometimes we got to look at it this way. When, when we're in sin... You know, often our spouse might be aware of something and talk to us, but we don't listen. Or our family, or our kids, or a pastor, or some close friend, and we don't listen. Well, what, what about the guy that is not listening to anybody, and yet he's deeper and deeper and deeper in sin? What about the guy that thinks he's so smart that nobody knows what I'm doing? What about the guy that's committed to a life of secret, sin. And thinks, well, I'm getting what I want. Nobody knows. Thank God for prophetic people. God sends a prophet, prophet named Nathan. And he gives him an analogy of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had all these lambs and the poor man only had one lamb. And then a traveler came, one lamb from from the poor man, and he made it. And, it, and David's anger got aroused. He got aroused. And it's so funny how, how self-righteous we can get when we're the one in sin. It's so funny how condemning we can get when we're the one hiding that sin. And, and he says, David says, um, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing. Because he had no pity, and that's another thing that happens when you and I were sin, were in sin. We lose our pity, we lose our sense of compassion, and, and he, So David is condemning himself, but he doesn't know it. And Nathan says, "You are the man." Thus says the Lord: I uh, anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you into your, I gave your master's wives into your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I'm going to raise up adverse seats adversaries from you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun and here it is for you did this secretly but I will do this thing before Israel before all Israel okay I'll put away your sin you're not going to die but because you've given the enemies of the Lord great uh, occasion to blaspheme the son who is born to you shall surely die And so his son, his son died, and that was part of the judgment of God. But I want you to catch a couple things here: is that you know, how many fathers do we have in the room? Raise your hand. It's really important that we conquer the things that are in front of us. Because often what we fail to conquer can pass on to our children. David had 19 boys, as I mentioned. There were sexual problems, big time, in the first two of his three boys. They had sexual problems. There was a girl that was raped, Tamar. Uh, Amnon was pervert. He introduced incest into that family. Absalom was the one that played it out, according to the prophecy, in, the eyes, in front of the eyes of all Israel. He laid with the concubines of David, and it was just a, a gross disgrace. And could it be possible that what God's knocking on at your door, at your heart door, that what you and I don't conquer could pass to our children? We gotta be careful. We can't gamble with the grace of God. We have to respond to the grace of God. And God says, what you've done secretly, you know what, I have gotta, I've gotta deal with this in a public manner. God help us. God help us to make sure that we are willingly confessing and not having to have things drug out of us. Amen? Now, there's many marriages that we've been in touch with, and some have gone clear to divorce because the man would simply not allow anything to be drug out of him when it was obvious that there had been persistent, long-term sexual sin and porn and things like that. Many situations that we have seen, it's just so grieving to see that it gets to that level. But God in his mercy will point it out and will squeeze and will bring pressure to bring the, the secrecy to the surface. What I'm talking about today is we all sin, we all confess, we all repent, we all get forgiven, we get back in the game. It's God's heart that we all be in the game. It's God's heart that we're all functioning, that we're all receiving his grace, that we're all walking with him. Not perfect, but we're, we're even when we sin, that we're getting back on track and we're confessing. Amen? But for the person that insists on living a secret life, who's going to help that person? God will deal strongly with that person. And even in discipline, we got to be thankful because he's our father and we're his sons and daughters. Because even in strong discipline, God can rescue us. Amen? He's not so mad at you that he just wants to spank you. He wants to deliver you from the place of secrecy. And this is what I'm after today. As so I was praying about this word for several weeks, I felt like God wanted to bring this word to give somebody a lifeline, a hope for any, anyone living in secret sin where nobody's pointed it out, where only you know it. You're the only one that has been involved in something. And yet you come to church and you play the part. Um, but truth be told, Your passion has been compromised. You're not sure where you're at with God, or maybe you know that you're not close to God, but people might think you're close to God. And God desires truth in the inward parts. You know, when David repented of his sin, finally, we we get some communication from David, and it's over in the Psalms. You guys know that Psalm 51 was written. Psalm 51. I'll just read a little portion of it here. Psalm 51. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now, all I want to say is that God wants to restore your passion for him. He wants to bring you back into right relationship with him. He wants to bring you out of that dark place where maybe your wife doesn't know where you're at or maybe it's a woman I'm talking to as well. could be either gender. And that you and I don't live a life of secret sin. You know, when we do marriage counseling, one of our mantras is, it's only fair that the girl marry the man and the hidden man. We want to we want to get rid of the hidden man, and we time often has been compromised, and and his his heart has sort of been divided, because when we choose to live with sin and we manage it, and we say, well, I can do this, I can kind of get what I want, plus I can come to church. My wife's fairly happy. I'm paying the bills. The kids. I'm going to live with those two worlds. Well, come on. God has something higher than that. Amen? You know, he's not condemning you today. He just has something higher. And he's saying, come on. Let's get back to the joy of your salvation. Let's get back to the place where you can raise your hands in liberty, where you can be free, where you're not, um, you know, this depressed person anymore come on, let's get back to the days where you were bubbling and you were full of life and you had joy and you were the life of the party. You know, a lot of men's character gets changed. It gets muted. I've worked with men long distance for a long time that are deep into porn and their personality actually changes over time. They're less talkative. They're angry often. Often, by the way, anger is a bedfellow with porn. Because we get get angry when we're not cleansed. We need to be cleansed of our wicked ways. Amen? Most of us know how to shower once a day. But spiritually, we refuse to step into the shower. We don't go there. We're like, "Oh, I'm just going to live with this. Spiritually, we stink sometimes. But we've got to get under that shower of God. Because even in that moment, he will cleanse us, and he will restore us, and he will bring us back to the joy of our salvation. Let me say it differently. Your passion is worth everything. Your passion in Christ is worth everything. You should fight for your passion. Amen? Sometimes we got to look in the mirror and deal with ourselves and say, I want to be passionate for God again. I will do anything to be passionate for God because sin pulls me away from God. Sin and passion for God cannot coexist. It's important that we confess every day. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen. How many want to be passionate for God? 100%. Amen. God did not call you and I to be divided or compromised. He called us to be passionate warriors for Christ. And you men, I'm looking at many men here today. You men, God's design for you is to be a lean, mean fighting machine in the kingdom of God. You are not called to be defeated and just to, just to be knocked down on the ground or to think you have to live with this problem that you've endured. God says, I want to rescue you. I want to heal you. I want to bring you out. I want to touch your life. Amen? And so, in closing, you and I are just like David. Huh? You're David. I'm David. You know? He sinned. We sinned. He does stupid things. We do stupid things. He went down, down, down. Sometimes you and I go down, down, down. We want to learn from David today. We're not making fun of him. We're not, you know, just saying, oh, we're above that. We want to make sure we understand that when we get engaged with lust, that it can take us down, 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 and further down still. And I want to tell you, and I know you'll agree with this, lust is so cancerous and so corrosive that what satisfied you today will not satisfy you tomorrow. Lust always wants more. David had everything, but he wanted more. And the nature of lust is so discontent. It says, you deserve this. You should click on the link. You work hard. Nobody will know. I'm with, you know, you can get away with this. This is how lust works. This generation is under the greatest attack in the history of man with technology and the lust that's hitting our technology and going right into the lives of our young people and in the lives of the older people as well. You can barely scroll anywhere without seeing a nearly naked woman or someone in a bikini and you just gotta keep scrolling and get past that. We have been inundated with images that have affected our passion for God. And not that we willingly choose it, but it is when we come into the church, this is our shower. This is our time. This is our time to say, God, get this off of me. Please, Lord, help me. You know, the the Bible in Ephesians talks about the the devil firing uh, fiery darts into our mind. And we teach in our church, not every thought you have is of you. You know, you're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, bing! and you're like, why am I th- thinking that, you know, or some weird thought or some lustful th- or some perverted thought. And we teach people, pull that arrow out in the name of Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going to think that perverted thought. This is wrong. This is of the devil. I'm pulling that out. I pull it out in Jesus name. You know what I'm saying? We got to fight or the devil's just going to keep bombarding us. So we need to fight, but we also need to avail ourselves of the power of God. Amen.